If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 24. We're going to be in and throughout this chapter pretty much all morning. Matthew 24. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. If you have your bulletins, you can turn them around on the back if you like to take notes. If you just like writing on your phone or you're joining us online and you want to take notes, we're going to be going for the next several weeks as long as the Lord would have us stay on this. This is going to be entitled, The Last Moments of Time. The Last Moments of Time. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 24. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. If you look on the back of your bulletin, it's already been written for you. And I encourage you. I think that this is going to help a lot of people this morning. But the importance of this, I'll kind of set this up for you guys, is we are getting close to the return of Jesus Christ. And it's so important that we realize that. Because the scriptures have told us certain things that we're going to talk about this morning that help us know where we're at on the timeline. And also, along with that, the scripture has given the church different commissions, the different responsibilities that we are supposed to be carrying out right now based off of where we're at on the timeline. And I, I, I want to do this, and I know sometimes people, some people love this type of message, some people don't. But ultimately, the reason I want to preach this and I want to share this with you guys is because this needs to light a fire underneath our bottoms to get us moving. My, my hope in all this and my prayer in all this is that people will see how close we really are. People will see things that were written thousands of years ago in the scriptures and how they're taking place now so that us as individuals, we can wake up. And us as a church, we can wake up, not just our church, but the church in the world, the church in the United States of America, that we would wake up and realize that there is not a second longer to waste in this time. Amen. You know, with all these live streams that's been going on, I've been hearing testimonies. I think y'all heard uh, Jonathan Shuttlesworth was mentioning some. But there's been pastors that reporting that they're getting calls from atheists and calls from Satanists, calls from people from different religions, saying, calling and giving their lives to Jesus. And what's happening is they're looking around at the world and they're going back and looking at some of these scriptures we're going to talk about this morning and saying, there is no way that this is a coincidence. There is no way that these things were written thousands of years ago and we're seeing these things starting to line up and they're, they're coming to the conclusion that the Bible is actually true. That Jesus is the true God. That the Word of God is the true Word of God. Every line of it's true and they're giving their lives to Jesus. And so, you know, and I also think this, that if we know where we're at, we won't live by surprise. You know, it's crazy that... Every time something happens in the world, Christians in the church shouldn't turn white as a ghost and say, oh my gosh, this took us by surprise. The Bible told us some of these things were going to happen. If we know that, we won't live carelessly. We won't live thoughtlessly. We won't live like we're just waiting for this thing to pass because it'll get better. We're going to look at some of these things. Jesus taught about these. So Matthew 24, we're going to be jumping in and out of this, this chapter. This is probably single-handedly the most, uh, the most concentrated place, especially in New Testament terms, that talks about the end of time. 
that talks about the second coming. That we have several passages. You got 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. There's, there's tons of passages all throughout the New Testament. But this is a place where Jesus lays it out for us. The whole chapter 24 is about what it's going to be like on this earth. He was telling them when he, when, before his second coming happens in the time that we're living in. And so before we go through the bottom, I want to jump up. Matthew 24, we're going to look at verse 32 through 36 real quickly. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 24. I'm going to read this to you, verse 32 through 36. It says, Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. Verse 33, In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down for point number one. For point number one, the signs indicate the time. Give you all a second to write that down. This is very important. The signs indicate the time. I want to help you guys with something, and I'm going to teach a little bit today because I think that it'll help people understand this. A lot of the Bible deals with prophecy. So this is the thing about the Bible is it doesn't only tell us what happened. A lot of, of the Bible, a big portion of the Bible percentage tells us about future events that will happen. That's what separates the Bible from any other religion or any other book is a lot of the Bible deals with prophecy. You know, even look in the Old Testament. Some of the prophecies, a lot of the prophecies that were given have already taken place. You read through the Old Testament, you see they were constantly prophesying about Jesus. You know, and when they wrote that 4,000, 5,000 years ago, Jesus hadn't even came yet. And so all throughout Scripture, you see this theme that it's constantly, the Bible is constantly dealing with the prophetic. And this is what I want to teach you a little bit to help you understand. The Bible tells us that we cannot have full understanding on this earth. That pr prophecy is only in part. So what I'm trying to say is that there's people right now that, I don't know if y'all have seen this, you're a lot older than me, but it seems like every five years or something there's a, you know, a preacher that comes out and says 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Are 2,000 reasons, 200 reasons why Jesus is coming back in the year 2000. That, that we try to read the scriptures, and I know a lot of people are guilty of this as well. We think that we can, from the scripture, uh, predict the exact day, the exact time. I remember in 2012, they thought the mind calendar. Do you guys remember all that stuff? Like the world was going to end on May 2012. It's not possible. This is what I want to help you understand today, is that the Bible teaches us that prophecy is only in part. So God will give us glimpses. God will, God will give us pieces. But there's several things that we will not understand until we're on the other side of it. That's going to help you a lot. And I'll explain to you why. So you don't have to wonder. I mean, you don't have to. Again, anybody that tries to tell you they know the exact precise down to the day, down to the hour. That's not what the scripture says. We just read in Matthew 24. It says, 
that not even the angels know. In verse 36, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. So this is important. Even Jesus doesn't know exactly the exact day, the exact hour when his return will happen. Right? But here's what's important about this. Yet, can y'all say yet? Jesus gave us indicators. So even though we don't know the precise day and the precise hour, Jesus gave us indicators saying, look, when you start seeing these roadblocks, you can know that it is going to happen very, very soon. In this way, you know, uh, if I walk outside of my, my front door and I look around and it's 30 degrees outside and the trees are dead and the grass is brown and everything's dead, I have a pretty good indication that it's winter time still, right? And I look at my calendar and it says January 1st. I can just conclude the summer is coming, but it's not very close, right? But Jesus alluded to his second coming in this way. You may not know the hour and you may not know the precise day or time, but you will be able to tell. He gives it an illustration like a fig tree, a fig tree, its branches beginning to bud. The same way that you can walk outside and you're like, man, it's been 65, 70 degrees for about two weeks. The flowers are coming back. The bees are coming out. The wasps are coming back out. I have a pretty good indicator that spring and summer is right around the corner, right? I may not, it may be April 1st and I'm looking at my, at my calendar and I'm looking at the weather and I'm like, I don't know when summer's coming. We still may have a couple of cold days, but I know that it's coming in the next few weeks. I can't tell you it's going to be April 25th at 12.01 p.m. We're going to transition right from winter into you know, spring and summertime. But Jesus said this is going to be kind of the context of my coming. You will be able to tell by the signs that the hour is approaching. Are y'all still with me? So he narrows it down. First he says, no man can come. So they're thinking of this timeline. You know, think about earth and, and history on this big timeline. And you think, well, it could be any time. It could be any moment. No, no. He said, you will know by these signs. So then now all of a sudden you're put in this category of when these signs start taking place. It could happen within this point or this point. Well, he takes it a, ne- a step further. And he says this in Matthew 24. Uh, let's see. In verse 34, Matthew 24, 34. He takes it a step further and says, This generation will not pass before the return. So what the scripture even does is take things a step further. And Jesus says, look, you know, because Jesus ascended into heaven 2,000 years ago. The earth has been waiting. We've been going through history. The church has been, you know, moving forward and progressing for the last 2,000 years. So Jesus said, when these signs start, the generation that is present on the earth, when these signs start taking place, that generation will not pass before I return. You know what's crazy about that, and we're going to look at the signs in a minute and get into this a little bit, is that We can see that we don't know the hour, we don't know the time, but this is the reality of the second coming of Christ. Jesus said when these signs start, that this generation that's present for when these signs start taking place will not die. It will happen in their lifetime. 
So this is what's nuts. We're going to look at these signs, but as we start indicating different signs that Jesus talked about, we know that we're not 100 years away. We know that we're not 200 years away. We know that we're not 300 years away. It's not going to be our great-great-grandchildren. Jesus said, even though nobody knows the exact hour or the exact day, I'm going to put it in a time frame. I, I, according to God's word, Jesus has to return within the lifetime of a person that was born when these signs begin to happen. Are you all still with me? If you're writing this down for point number two, we're going to look at these. So the signs indicate the time. So point number two, here's the question. What are the signs? I'm going to read through Matthew 24 and show you different things. So if you just want to write it in your notes, the signs of the second coming. And then as we read, you can write down certain things that that you want to grab out of this. Let's skip back up to verse 3 of Matthew 24. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will this happen? What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you. I want y'all to know that Jesus even said this. It is in, I want you to hear this is what he was saying. Don't let anybody mislead you. What I'm telling you is extremely important for several reasons. So that you will know where you're at on the time frame. And you will know what God is requiring you to do as a believer and you to do as a church. Don't be misled. Don't let anyone mislead you. Here's the first sign. Verse 5. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. You know what's crazy is I came across this recently. This doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to us as Americans. This was a Jewish sign. You have to understand, there's Jews, you have to know this, there's Jewish people that are still waiting for the Messiah. Do you know that there's people that live on this earth that are Jewish people, that they believe the same Bible as us up until the New Testament. That they believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They believe the stories about Elijah. They believe about King David. They, they know our God, but they are still waiting for the Messiah to come. They, for some reason, they have rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah, and they've been deceived, and they're still to this day waiting for their Messiah. This is a significant sign. For the Jewish people. And we, we, we try to put this in like an American context. And I've heard people talk about presidents and different things like that. No, this was a Jewish sign to the Jewish people. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. So basically what Jesus is saying is that there will be people that arise that you will think is the Messiah. But don't be deceived. It's not so. That's a sign. I'm, and we're going to get into this in a moment. But do you guys know that several People in Israel, a large percentage of them believe that Donald Trump is the reincarnated Messiah. I'm not kidding you. Israel has been under bondage for thousands and thousands of years. We're going to get to this in a minute. But Donald Trump in 2017, he rose to a place of political power. That's what they believed the Messiah was going to be, a political figure. Not somebody weak, not somebody that was going to die on a cross. They thought he was going to be a person that had military power, political figure that would rise to position and help the Israelites, to help the Jewish nation. Donald Trump arose in in what year, 2016 he got elected? And he has been a friend to Israel like no other. In 2017, he actually declared Jerusalem as 
the capital for Israel. I mean, he's been a friend of them. And so they have literally, there's several sections in the Jewish community that believe Donald Trump is the Messiah. We laugh at that. Jesus said this was a sign of the end of time. Not that Donald Trump is claiming to be the Messiah, but the, the, the Jews are actually throwing that on him. A false Messiah uh, that's not true. False doesn't mean he's up there preaching Antichrist. It's just a, a not, he's not the Messiah, obviously. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Are you guys still with me? want you to see this. So that's already an indicator that's happening right now. There's been no other president, and you can research this and fact check me. There's been no other president in the United States or any world power that, that the, it, the Jewish people have claimed to be the Messiah, who they believe. They're even trying to trace his lineage back to King David. It's crazy. They're like trying to go through his ancestry and find that he somehow, some way, come through from King David's uh, bloodline because that's what the Old Testament prophesied, that the coming Messiah, which we know was Jesus, would come through that lineage. They really believe this. And that's a significant sign to Jewish people. Amen? Verse 6. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. There's several things that I could go off to, but I want to highlight some key things this morning to you. Verse 7, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes. Can y'all say famines? Can you say earthquakes? In many parts of the world. But this is only the first of birth pains with more to come. Can I repeat this? More to come. So much of the church is waiting for the coronavirus to just die out so we can go back to, to life as usual. Is that what the Bible says? More. Can you say more to come? More to come. Am I saying that to scare you? Absolutely not. What I'm saying this for is to help give you some courage right now that there's a bridge that you have to cross in your life as a believer. There's a bridge every church in the United States is going to have to cross when months go by and they're expecting everything to go back to the way it was in 2015 and we're going to get back to that place. There's a bridge that we have to cross that things aren't going to be in that manner anymore. If it's not the coronavirus, it's, the Bible says there will be famines and earthquakes. This is some significant things about this. You have to think about signs. You know, like I know in 2001, people thought the World Trade Centers, you know, was a sign of the end times. When, when that was significant. But how many of you know that the people in India weren't necessarily affected by what happened in the United States? I mean, a little bit because we, we, we have a lot of power and pull in how we trade and in the world market. But I'm saying for us, it was completely different for us than it was for them. So when it's talking about signs, we have to start looking at signs that affect globally. Right now, there's a famine that's on the earth that is affecting every single nation. This is not a famine that's just affecting the United States economy. This is affecting the, the Asian economy. This is affecting Africa. This is affecting Europe. This is affecting every single continent on the, in the entire world. To some extent, even the ones that you know, didn't get the spread because of the, the spread of this thing, it's affecting every single, I think, person to an extent on the entire planet. 
So this is a significant sign. There will be famines and earthquakes in many, can y'all say many, parts of the world. So when we start looking at signs, you have to start putting it in that filter. Because I remember when I was a kid, I watched the Titanic and I heard my preacher preach about the end times. And I remember asking my mom, do you think the Titanic sinking was a sign of the end? <laughs> you know, I was like this little five-year-old kid. But I'm trying to tell you guys that when we see these signs, we have to start thinking globally. What's impacting the entire world as a whole? This is the first of birth pains. So I, I learned this whenever Carissa was pregnant with Emberly and we were delivering her. But when the Bible says birth pains, many of you know, and if you don't, you'll find out. When a woman's going into labor, you know, the contractions start and they're kind of light and they're spread out. And then they'll have another one and they're spread out. But whenever the, it's almost getting time for delivery, the closer that they get to delivery, those contractions start happening closer and closer and closer and more intense and more intense and more intense. And the Bible says there will be plagues, there will be famines, there will be disasters on the earth like a woman's birth pains. That as Jesus approaches, as the time, as the time gets closer, we're not going to start seeing these things get further and far in between. We're going to start seeing these things happen closer and closer and closer with more intensity and more intensity and more intensity. Again, am I trying to scare you? No, I'm telling you, this is why God gave us promises in his word. This is not meant to scare you so you go live in your house and watch Netflix until Jesus comes back. This is why he gave us promises for sickness and disease. This is why he gave us promises against the economy and what's happening when the world market crashes. This is why he's given us promises to walk by. So that, yes, these things are happening in the world, but this is not supposed to deter Christians and believers away. Are y'all still with me? We just think... Shut the door. You know, and this is what churches have to realize. Again, if you've even followed the coronavirus, I know that you can't really trust the statistics because they change every other day. They're saying something else, but they've already predicted that there might be another wave of this in the fall. There might be another wave of this in the spring. And again, am I trying to build fear into you? No. I mean, I'm telling you, when you live a life of faith, you live different than everybody else. But you're going to have to cross a bridge as a believer where you say, look, either I can retract or I can step up and say, this is what God's words is. This is Jesus said these things are going to happen again and again and again. So if I do it right now or I do it in three months from now or I do it in a year from now, I'm going to have to cross a bridge where either I walk in faith or I stay home until Jesus returns. And I'm telling you, all I want to warn you, the people that sleep, the people that stay home. We're going to talk about this in the next few weeks. It's not good. It's not good. Can y'all turn the air down a little bit in here for me? One of you, please. Thank you so much. So the Bible says that these things, these things are getting closer and closer. And I'm telling you guys, even I want to think as a church, you know, whenever all the other churches were closing and we prayed about this and, and I prayed and I sought God's word for about a week and I, I'll be vulnerable as a pastor it's it's hard when every other church in this town is doing that every other church in Lufkin is doing that every other church in the country is falling into a pattern and they're like if we can just make it through this we'll get through it and on the other side I'm telling you 
Everybody's going to have to cross a bridge where either we step up as communities that believe what the Bible says or those doors are going to have to stay shut because this is the first of more things to come until Jesus comes back. Are y'all still with me? This is only the first of the birth pains with many more to come. Verse 9, he says, you will be arrested and persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Y'all, I just want to tell you, the world, when you're a believer, we love the world, but don't be discouraged when the world hates you. Stop, Christians and churches need to stop spending all of their energy trying to be accepted by the world. Yes, we want to love people. We want to reach people. But being accepted, being, getting approval, you're, it's not going to happen. Jesus said, when you're actually walking as my covenant people, especially in the end times, the world will hate you. When you start losing friends on your Facebooks, don't get discouraged and start changing your faith and changing what you say. No, the world will hate you. They hated you. He said, they will hate you because they hated me first. Are y'all still with me? I know that's not what a lot of people like to hear, but it's true. Verse 10, he says, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Y'all probably heard this if you've been around here. I know Jonathan talked about it a lot. But the pastor that, the the person that turned in Rodney Howard Brown, the pastor in Florida, was another pastor. The person that turned him into the police to get him arrested and get his church, all that persecution brought on his church, was another pastor that didn't like his ministry. It wasn't somebody from the world. It was somebody that was supposed to be a brother in the faith called the police and said, hey, they're over there. The Bible says in the last days, many will turn away and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will run rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. You know, and we're going to look at this again soon, but the Bible says that in the last days, it'll be like the days of Noah. The day up until the flood came. How many of you guys know that it was only Noah and his family that was on that ark? Was it because Noah said, nope, nobody else can come? He he warned everybody. He was building a giant boat that was pretty hard to hide. He didn't have it hidden in his barn like, oh, everybody else is going to die and we're going to escape. People came to Noah. And God said, look, if they'll repent, I'll rescue them. But people rejected him. And it says that they were marrying There was parties. There was business as usual up until the day of the flood. What are we seeing in our country? Again, we live in this time where people are just living their life. Godlessness, sexual immorality. Look at the culture that we have. This is a sign of the end times. You want to look at statistics? Look at marriages in the 1950s and look at marriages now. Look at sexual immorality in the 1940s and look at sexual immorality now. Look at the things that have grown, the pornography industry, just godlessness. The Bible said thousands of years ago, before the internet, before TV, before movies and Hollywood culture, before any of that, that in the last days, sin will run rampant. It says, 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
Not the one that joins in with the rest of the world and just tries to coast along. The one, it's talking about somebody that's being hated by the world. Somebody that is persevering through all these other things. When the world's coming around them, persecuting them, trying to just put this pressure on them, that they don't give in to the world. This is a person that looks at the sin that's happening and says, I am removing myself and I am going to persevere. I am not going to subject myself to these things. It says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Y'all, and this is a great reality. The Bible talks about in the last days, there will be a great falling away as well. We're going to look at this. And again, it's stuff people don't like to hear, but this is what the Bible says. These things will start happening in the world. A coronavirus will hit the face of the planet, and then what's going to happen? People will start falling away. People will stop shutting churches down. People will stop showing up. People will stop living for God. People will just start doing their own thing. And I'm telling you, the Bible says that that will, will be what happens. But only the ones who endure to the end will be saved, it says. Verse 14. And this is amazing. And this is a significant word from the Lord for us this morning. And it says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world, so all the nations will hear and then the end will come. And then the end will come. God gave us a mission as a church. Right? We just read in the last days there will be plagues, there will be famines, there will be earthquakes, there will be this sin, there will be all these things happening in the world. But it says this, but at the same time the gospel will go out to the ends of the earth. It will be preached everywhere and then the end will come. What does this tell us as a mission of the church? That this is not the time to sleep. This is our hour. I wish that other people would get this. This is not the time to shut your doors. This is the hour in the midst of what's going on for the church to be moving forward and faster and harder than it ever has before. Amen. We are not supposed to sleep. We're not supposed to wait. We're not supposed to just hope this thing passes so we can go back to comfortable. It says in the midst of the famines, in the midst of what's happening right now in the world, the gospel will go forward. That gives us the mission as the church. Is it God's will for us to just lay low and wait? No, it is God's will for us to move forward and harder and faster than we ever did. I'm so thankful, y'all. I mean, and I'm telling you, I'm not trying to elevate our church or anything like that, but the ultimate reality is we just did a revival out in our parking lot. You know, where the guy that came, he was nervous that, that we were going to get reporters coming in from California and that the nation was going to respond negatively to what we were doing because he's been getting a lot of hate mail. This is a time where it, does, it didn't make sense, right? We're in this economical crash. If you just think in the logical standpoint, it doesn't make sense for a church to throw thousands of dollars out there to make something like this happen. It doesn't make sense. This is the time that we should really try to be preserve ourselves and preserve our resources and just try to make it through. No, we stepped out in faith because the Bible gives us a clear mission. In the midst of this, the gospel is supposed to go out further and faster than it ever has, farther than it ever has before. So that's what we did. We stepped up in faith and said, Lord, we're not shrinking back right now. We're pressing forward. Amen. Are y'all still with me? It is time 
to get behind the advancement of the gospel. God is looking for people that will get behind the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is looking for people in churches that will make it their business to preach the word of God, to push the word of God, to push the kingdom of God forward. God is looking for people who will make it their personal business to see that that happens. This is the time that we're living in. I'm telling you, if you hear anything that I say this morning, this is not the time to sleep. This is not the time to be wasting any time. This is not the time for us to just be halfway tuned in, halfway showing up, halfway invested. This is the time where we need to be giving everything that we have into the gospel of Jesus Christ and pushing the kingdom of God forward. Amen. Amen. Verse 15. It says, the day is coming when you will see what the prophet spoke about. The sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. And again, it, it puts it back in a, Jew, uh, a Jewish context. Those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must go down. It not, must not go down into the house and pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. <coughs> How terrible it will be for a pregnant woman and for nursing mothers in those days. Verse 20. Pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Verse 21, for there will be greater anguish than any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. If anyone looks and says, the Messiah, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. We're going to talk about that in a week or so, and we'll explain all of those things in more detail. Don't believe it. So if someone says, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look, or look, he's hiding in here. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines in the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures show that there are carcasses nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Can you look at the things that we're already talking about that are so relevant to what's happening, not just in the United States, in the world right now? Again, he said, just like the fig tree, just like... I can look off in my pasture, and I don't see a dead animal. I just see a bunch of trees. But I see vultures circling around above the trees. I know something's dead laying over there. That's an indicator to me that there's something dead over there. He says, these signs will indicate that you are at the time of my return. And we'll take it back to that step again. Not only will it indicate you're in that season of my return, that generation that is present to see those signs will not pass away until I come back. Friends, I want you to hear me. Jesus is coming back in our lifetime. That is a reality that people need to live by because it will change how you live your life. It'll change how you spend your time. It'll change how you spend your money. It'll change what you worry about. It'll change what, what, your, what your thoughts are focused on. It'll change every single thing that you do if you realize this, this fact. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back in my lifetime. Let's keep reading. 
Verse 29, immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then at last the sign of the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among the people of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds uh, of heaven with power and great glory. This isn't something I had in my notes, but I want you to think about this. Y'all, if something happens in the sky in Jerusalem, can we see it from West Texas? You can't, can you? Jesus is a human being, right? If Jesus, uh, as a man, uh, he's not a human being, but he still has a body like a human being, like a man, but a glorified body. If, uh, if somebody at that size and that figure was coming down from the clouds and somewhere completely across the planet, how would we be able to see it? But yet the Bible said thousands of years ago, all the nations would see it. Do you know that we live in a time in history right now where we have access? You can see what's happening in China right now. You can see what's happening in Italy right now. You can see what's happening across the planet because of technology that they didn't know about thousands of years ago. But the Bible prophesied that the, all the nations will see the return of man, will re see the return of Jesus. Doesn't that even... This was not possible a hundred years ago. This time frame, these events taking place wasn't possible 80 years ago. We are now in the hour and the time where everything the Bible said is actually, it's, it's taking place. And it's all been, it's like the world's just been setting itself up. Satan's been setting himself up in every way for, to fulfill every line, every word that the Bible prophesied about. Amen. I told y'all this was going to be a little different. This is teaching about these things. Let me see where I'm at here. Okay. It says this, the Son of Man, all the people of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth to heaven. In heaven. Now, verse 32, here's a significant sign most people skip over, and I think this is one of the most significant signs that indicate where we're at in the timeline. I think this might blow some of your minds a little bit because I didn't know this growing up. Verse 32, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, can you say in the same way? When you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I already kind of explained the metaphor of a fig tree, but I want to take it a step further. Do you know what the fig tree represents in Scripture? Israel. In Scripture, the fig tree and the olive tree, olive branch, represents the people of Israel. I know in Joel chapter 2, it refers to Israel as a fig tree. I'm going to read you this parable. This is Luke 13, 6 through 9. We just, we don't see some of these things sometimes when we're reading these things. Jesus told this parable describing Israel, describing a judgment, just putting some context into what we're reading. He says, learn this lesson. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years. Can you say three years? And there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. This already, this parable is describing God's relationship with his people Israel. All throughout the Old Testament, you see 
God, he's just trying to woo his people back. He, he delivers them from captivity. He, he says, I'm your God. I'll make this covenant with you. And you have this process where Israel just rejects God. They start serving other gods. They run away from the Lord. And then destruction comes upon them. And then they come back and they repent. That the, the, the gardener is always going back and checking to see if there's fruit on his tree. So finally, he takes one more step and he says, I'm going to send somebody to tend this garden and they're going to tend it for three years. Who was on this earth for three years doing ministry? Jesus. Didn't Jesus say, I came to the lost sheep of Israel when the Gentile woman came to him? This parable is talking about Israel being the fig tree and talking about Jesus being the gardener during his three years. It says this, I've waited three years. So the gardener comes back. I've waited, I've sent my son for three years. He performed signs, miracles, wonders. He raised the dead. He fulfilled scripture, prophesied, preached, taught, did all of these things. And there's still no fruit on the tree. So Jesus makes this plea and he says, the gardener says, it's just not producing fruit. It's taking up space. Cut it down. Then Jesus says, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year. I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, cut it down. There's a significant event that happened in, in Israel's history that a lot of people don't know about. That describes literally the fig tree, Israel, being chopped down. Uh, so Jesus, he ascended into heaven in about 33 AD, give or take. They say a few years. That timeline's a little uh, weird. But 40 years later, in 70 AD, Rome came into Jerusalem, built barricades, killed all the Jewish people that were present, destroyed the city, destroyed their temple. You have to understand, when they destroyed the Jewish temple, it wasn't just like them blowing up, you know, our White House. Oh, man, we can, you know, we rebuild. This was literally, this was the center of their entire faith. If they did not have a temple, essentially they could not practice Judaism any longer. That was God's temple to them. That was God's house. That was where they had to go and, and offer their sacrifices. Rome came in and chopped that nation down like a tree down to the stump. And Jesus taught about this. So you have to see, Israel was chopped down. Even the Bible talks about in the New Testament that Israel rejected God. And so now he said, I'm extending my grace to the Gentiles to try to, through jealousy, bring my people back. Amen? Israel was chopped down. So let's put this back in context. Verse 32 of Matthew 24. I want you to see this again. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. Learn this lesson from Israel. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that the summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things, you can know that the end is very near, right at the door. For thousands of years, Israel as a nation was under the oppression of, of other world powers. When Jesus was on the earth, it was dominated by Rome. All throughout history, there's been battles and, and other nations, other world powers dominating Israel. Do you know when Israel finally gained their independence? In May of 1948, right after World War II, for the first time in thousands and thousands and thousands of years, Israel was declared uh, 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 an independent state, their own independent nation. This is what's crazy. I want y'all to see this. Jesus literally said, 1948, when you start seeing branches, the stump that was cut down, when you start seeing 
branch is growing out from the stump and the stump begins to bloom again, that is a sign of my end, my soon return. Not only that, that generation will not pass until these things, until I return, until Jesus returns. Do you know how old somebody would be that's born in, 19, in 1948? 72 years old. Jesus said, when you see this sign, I have to come back in this person's lifetime. In this generation, I have to come back before that generation leaves the earth. Guys, we're not only in the last days. We are in the last moments. Somebody that's 72 years old doesn't have 30, 40, 50, 60 more years of life to live. Do you see this? He gave us time frames and says, you may not know the hour. You may not know the day. But when you see these signs, this will tell you where you're at on the timeline. You know what, again, I'll bring it back to what Donald Trump did. So we started in 1948, Israel, we saw from a stump, a little branch start spreading out. What Jesus predicted would happen. 2017, Donald Trump took it a step further and said, I'm going to declare the holy city, the capital once again. Amen. You got another sprout, start, it's starting to sprout. Now they're talking about literally, there's talk in Israel right now of them building a third temple on the ruins of Solomon's temple. Do you see what Jesus was saying? That this stump is going to start sprouting out into like a bush, into a tree. When you see that happen, that generation will not pass before I return. Do you see? If we were on a clock, guys, we would not be at 3 o'clock. We would not be at 6 o'clock. We would not be at 9 o'clock. We would be at 11.59. 59. That's why this series is not the last days. We are not in the last days. We are in the last moments of time. Do y'all see this? I know that when we're talking about prophecy and end time stuff, people can kind of get lost. It's so important that you realize this. How would you live your life if Jesus was coming back in three years from now? When all this started going down, there's been prophecies being released that men of God saying they believe we're three years, seven years away. You know, I have another fact I'll bring to you guys next week about the 2,000th year anniversary of the church that's coming up in 10 years from now, approximately. If you knew you were three years away, five years away, how would your life change? How would your life change? I, me and Tanner discussed this a couple weeks ago, and I said, if I knew, if God, through his word, told me I'm coming back in December of 2023, Man, my life would look so much different. Wouldn't our church look, would we be worried about thinking 40 years down the line and this whole, no, we would seek first the kingdom of God. We would live righteously. And I'll tell you, everything else would be added unto us. How would we push the gospel? How would we treat sin in our life? It, this is the reality. This is why the scripture tells us, be ready. He's at the door. Amen. I want you to write this down for point number three as I'm wrapping up. Point number three is this. Be ready today. Be ready today. If we're at 11.59 on the clock and midnight's getting ready to strike, what does that mean for you? Two things. I'm going to tell you the same message John the Baptist preached, the same message that Jesus preached is the same message I want to tell you today that we need to be carrying on this earth. 
He said this, John the Baptist said this in Matthew 3, 1 through 2. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4, 17. Jesus, the next chapter, John the Baptist came and said, look guys, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. And they would say, John, what do we need to do? Repent of your sins. Get ready so you can receive the kingdom. People will say, well, that was John the Baptist. The next chapter, chapter 4 of Matthew 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. What message do I want to tell you this morning? Make sure you're right with God. There's two things I want you to do, and one of those things is I want you to make sure you are right with God. Get rid of sin in your life. Get rid of the junk in your life. Get rid of addictions in your life. Get rid of sexual immorality in your life. Start taking it seriously and make sure that you are right with God, that you're not sleeping, that you don't miss this. You repent, turn away. It's as easy as this. Don't live in condemnation. The biggest thing that the devil will try to do is make you feel condemned of every mistake you've ever made so you feel like you can't ever move forward. Look, except Jesus paid the price for your forgiveness today, you can leave this church and never go back to the person you were before. Make sure you're right with God. Make sure you're right. Get to the point where you're saying nothing's going to hold me back. When midnight strikes, nothing is going, I'm not going to, I'm going to stand before God with clean hands. I'm going to stand before God wearing a white robe. I'm going to stand before God saying, Lord, the second I came to this revelation, I fought the fight. I ran the race. I kept the faith. Get right with God. Get rid of sin in your life. It's not worth it. Y'all, there is no high on this earth. It's going to be worth eternity in hell. There's no woman on this earth that's going to be worth eternity in hell. There's no man on this earth that's worth it. There's no drink on this earth that's worth it. There's no movie on this. There's no show. There's no amount of money on this earth that's worth it. Get, get rid of it. Strip off the book of Hebrews says, since we're surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, it says, strip off every way in the sin that so easily entangles you so that you can run the race that God has set before you. Just get rid of it. Amen? The second thing, what does it mean for you today? Two, redeem the time. Can you say redeem the time? Redeem. Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly. It basically means carefully. So see then that you walk carefully. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit. Dissipation, I'm sorry. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. God has a will for you, and God has a will for us. You as a believer, in this hour, you need to figure out what God's plan and what His purpose and what His gift. He has an anointing set apart for you. Uh, 
It says, it talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You have a gift. You have a part to play in the body. You have a purpose. You have a calling. God's got a will and a plan for your life. You need to figure it out fast what that is. It's not hard because the Bible says as many are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. If you were here Wednesday night, those of you that don't know, we're doing a Wednesday night Bible study for adults now every Wednesday. We talked about how wisdom, which the Bible says God made Jesus to be wisdom himself. Wisdom is shouting out from the street corners saying, come, just come and listen. I'll share my heart with you. I'll make you wise. That's a picture of Jesus. It's not. Jesus does not make it hard for you to hear his voice. He doesn't make it hard for you to know what his will is. He doesn't make it hard for you to to know what you're supposed to do on this earth. You need to figure it out. It says live carefully. Understand what the will of the Lord is for your life personally. Two, us as a church, we have to understand what the will of the Lord is. We just read in the last time, in the last days when all these signs are taking place, Jesus said that will be the hour that the gospel is being pushed. That will be the hour like in Joel chapter 2. Uh, In Acts chapter 2, where he quotes, he says, in the last days, I'll read it to you, Acts 2. Peter quoted this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders on the heaven above, signs on the earth below, Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does the Bible tell you? Right up, right before the return of Jesus Christ, God is going to pour an anointing out on the earth that is so strong, so significant, that, that all flesh, his sons and daughters, are going to receive this anointing. Amen? That we understand, again, what is God's will for us as a church? It's not to sit back. It's not to close down. It's not to just sit back and wait and just do everything online until all this passes and then maybe we'll go back to normal. This is the hour that God has made for us. This is our hour. Can you say, this is my hour? We need to be pushing everything far and fast. That's what I want to get to is redeeming. So you understand those two things. What's God's will for me? What's God's will for us as a church? Okay, now that I understand that, the Bible tells me to redeem the time because the days are evil. What does it mean to redeem the time? It means to take two times, three times as much as what you would normally do and do it twice or three times as much. So God's will is for us to move forward. So I'm going to take what I would normally do in one day and I'm going to cram three times as much in that day. I'm going to find what God's will is for me, and I'm not just going to like halfway devote myself. I'm going to redeem the time. That means people say, man, I came to uh, Jesus kind of late in life. I was 40, 50 years old. Redeem the time. That means you live with an urgency saying, I might have wasted 10 years. I might have waited, wasted 15 years. So now I'm going to make up for every bit of lost time that the devil stole from me, and I'm going to make him pay for it. Amen. Redeem the time because the days are evil. I'm going to tell you all, last week alone, I mean, this is what we're trying to do, and we're constantly seeking God for more vision. Monday night, we did a live broadcast and reached over 2,000 people on Facebook. Tuesday night, we did Redeem. Thursday, or Wednesday night, we did our Bible study, and we live streamed. Thursday night, 
We did prayer in this room. We had a prayer meeting. Friday night, Tanner jumped on and live streamed to the youth. We're doing ministry, streaming and in-house, six days a week, and we're going to do more. Why? Why are we doing that? Just because we should? Because the Bible says, understand what the, Lord, uh, the, what the will of the Lord is, and then redeem the time because the days are evil. Amen. Run hard, run fast, because Jesus is coming back very soon. I want everybody to bow your head. Everybody bow your head, if you will. I'm going to ask Hannah if you would come to the keyboard for me. I want to ask you, if, the, if you've never done this, guys, I want to challenge you. If you've gotten saved, two things. You don't have to get saved every week. And if you feel like you do, I want to challenge you with this. Stop doing stuff that makes you feel like you got to get saved every time, every week. Make there a point, a, a shift in your life that says, no, I'm not, I'm not going out and living in sin all week long. I'm walking as the righteousness of God. I'm walking like Romans 6 says, free from sin's power. No longer a slave to sin. If you are in this room... And you can genuinely say, I have never given my life to Jesus. If you are online watching us and you say, I have never given my life to Jesus, do not waste another second today. Get right with God. The Bible said it's so easy. Jesus paid your price. You don't have, to, you don't have a price to pay. All you have to do. Romans. Chapter 10. Let me read this to you. With your heads bowed. Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As well as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you say, I've never given my life to Jesus, let's just do what the Bible says. It's as easy as this. It says you believe in your heart. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Make the Lord your shepherd, Psalms 23. Make him your shepherd. That means making the Lord, that means making this word your God, making this word your decision maker. You're saying, Lord, you lead me now. Like David said, you lead me into still waters. You lead me into green pastures. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came so that you could have life and life abundantly. Make the Lord your shepherd and start receiving the benefits of the Lord being your shepherd. I can't do a whole lot for myself. There's only so much John can do for John. But whenever I make the Lord my shepherd, I receive salvation and eternity and salvation from this world we live in as well. I want you to put your faith if you're a believer, I want you to go ahead. I want you to start praying in the Spirit. If you, if you do that, you've received that gift. Begin to pray in the Spirit. If you want to pray this prayer, I want you to just lift your hand. If you say, I have never given my life to Jesus. 
Make this the last time. If you're online and you're saying, I've never given my life to Jesus, right where you're at. Repeat this. If you, if you want to say it, say it out loud. Acknowledge Jesus before man. And Jesus said, I'll acknowledge you before my Father. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. I believe you were raised. I believe you were seated in heaven. You are the Lord. I put my faith in you. By your stripes, I am healed. By your blood, I am forgiven. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. I want you to make a decision right now. If you're in this room and you're saying, okay, I've given my life to Jesus, but I need to make things right. I don't want to miss this, that I'm going to live with the fear of the Lord, that Jesus is coming back very soon, and that actually matters, that means something. I want you to put your hand up right where you're at, and I want to pray for you. Saying, I want to be right with God. If you're online and you want to pray this prayer, I want you right where you're at, in your home, lift your hand to heaven. Thank you. I want you to say this out loud. Say, Jesus, you have called me. You have purposed me. You have anointed me. I repent. I receive your forgiveness. I have my faith in your salvation. I put my life in your hands. Fill me with afresh with your spirit. I receive your power. I receive your grace. I receive the authority. I receive the anointing of God. My life will be a vessel for you to use. I will be an arrow for the Lord. Say, point, Lord, and release. Point and release, Lord, right now in Jesus' name. Every person in this room, I release them into their gift. I release them into their calling. I release them that they would be arrows of the Lord. Everybody watching online, they would be arrows of the Lord. That Jesus and God would stand above the world, above the nations, and release the arrows of the Lord. Planted into cities. Planted into communities. Planted into countries and nations. That would destroy the kingdom of hell. That like Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail. I will build my church on this rock and hell will not be able to hold it back that the church will rise up and will defeat satan and resist satan and be the salt and the light that preserves this earth until jesus christ comes back again lord not one person in this room has to live subject to coronavirus not one person in this room has to live subject to the economical crash not one person in this room has to live subject to sickness oppression depression any of those things. Physical disease, mental disease, spiritual disease. We break Satan's hands in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a shout. Hallelujah. The last thing I want to do, if I can have my ushers come forward.
As we take up our tithes and our offerings, Hannah, you just play for me. I'm sorry. I like your plan so much. Jesus likes it. Chris is right. That's what matters. Who cares if I like it? Which I do. Y'all, this is the last thing I want to do. Y'all have heard, if you've been to this church, which all of you have, if you're online, we love you. We thank you for joining us. If you're just tuning in to see what this is all about, there is no obligation on you. But right now, I want to talk to believers. You know, the Bible has, clear, has been clear about what is God's belongs to God. We have, we, we have several different covenants. Or let me put it this way. We have a covenant with God that entails several, diff, several different aspects. We have a covenant with God that secures our salvation. We have a covenant with God. In our covenant, it secures our healing. We have a covenant with God that protects, secures, and guarantees our prosperity and finances. But it's not by chance. It's not by accident. It doesn't just happen. The Lord gave us instructions. Just like we just read this prayer, you can have the benefits of salvation, but you have to do what the covenant entails. You have to believe in your heart. You have to confess with your mouth. There's certain things that the Lord told us to do. If we did these things, we would get those benefits. We made a covenant with God. God made a covenant with his people. And it's not because he was in lack. He was in short supply. He made this covenant with Abraham. He made this covenant with Isaac. He made this covenant with Jacob. He made this covenant with his people all throughout time. With Jesus. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. Do you say, Lord, I'm going to seek first the kingdom. You told me, I'm going to walk in your blessing and you are going to bless my life. All 100% of what I have comes from you. When I walk in your blessing and I increase, this is what Jacob told the Lord, as I increase, as you give, he said, I'm making this covenant. As the Lord increases me, I give a tenth to the Lord to guarantee my increase. I give a tenth to the Lord to do two things. For one, to say thank you. Lord, I recognize that this is of you. This is not of me. I recognize this increase, this financial blessing, the way that my family's taken care of, the way that I have a place to live and food to eat. That, that is what some people on this earth don't get that luxury. That has came from you, and I'm going to show you my thanks by giving you a tenth, a dime out of a dollar of what you give to me. The second thing the Bible says, like in 2 Corinthians 9 and in Malachi chapter 3, we read these a lot. After you say thank you, you say, Lord, on top of saying thank you, I'm giving this to you as a seed. 2 Corinthians 9. You've given us a method. You've given us a structure. You've told us to do specific things. And in those specific things, you said, if you sow this as a seed, I will fill your storehouses with grain. If you show me that you're serious about seeking first the kingdom of God, I'm telling you guys, right now, we're in a time, and I, I'm jumping behind this, personally. We're in a time where God is looking for people who will fund His kingdom on this earth. He is, in Malachi 3, He says, test me. You know, that there's not many places in the Bible where the Lord tells us to test Him. The only place the Bible tells us to test the Lord is when we're giving. He says, test me. 
I will pour out a blessing so great on you, you will not be able to contain it. I will open the windows of heaven over your life. I will fill your vats with wine, your barns with grain. I will, I will produce an overflow inside of you. Why? Because my kingdom needs to go forward. Churches need to be planted. The gospel needs to be preached. People need to be fed. Things, works that he's told us to do, he wants them done. And he's looking for people that will put their money where their mouth is and say, Lord, it matters to me. And it's not just, I'm just going to give this to you because you deserve it. He says, here's a promise. I'm looking for people. Watch what I do. Watch what I do. If you have an offering, there's two ways. We're going to take up an offering in here. But if you're online, or even if you're present and you want to do this online, you can go to our website. We'll throw it in the comments. It's www.nbchuntington.org. We just made that really easy. There's a big button right when you click that says give. You can sow your seed, and it'll be the exact same as if you're doing it here. That's how me and Carissa do it, because I'm a young buck. I don't carry around checks and stuff like some of y'all do. Some of y'all older people do. I'm just kidding. I love you guys. I do it all online, and so you guys have that option. If you're watching this, help us. Help God. Help us push the kingdom forward. I want to pray over this. I don't want to pray my prayer. I want to pray God's prayer. I want you to just, if you will, if you have an offering, you can lift it. You can put your hand on it. I want you to put your faith on it, most importantly. Father, thank you. Thank you for every seed that is sown. Father, thank you, Lord, that you made this covenant with us, that you said, I will bless you. We know your word says in Proverbs, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow to it. We get the wealth, we get the blessing like people in the world, but we don't get the problems that come with the wealth like the people in the world. We get the blessing of God in the overflow with no sorrow added to it whatsoever. You said in your word, to test you, put you to the test and see if you wouldn't honor, and honor your word and back up what you said. Lord, I release overflow. I release abundance. I release right now opportunities, channels of income opening up right now in Jesus' name that you will begin to prosper and multiply every believer that gives to the kingdom of God, that seeks first the kingdom. There's people that they're thinking, man, I've been saving up and I could really use this for something I've been wanting, I've been wanting to do. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom in Matthew chapter 6 and live righteously. And all of these things will be added unto you. You give a seed to the Lord that you want to hoard that you think is mine. You give it as a seed. God will give you something that you couldn't have saved up 50 years for. It will just be added to you because you put the kingdom first. I release that blessing according to your word right now in Jesus' name. Ushers, you can take the offering. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, y'all, I love you. I want to tell you this. We're moving forward. Amen. We're not stopping. We are moving forward. I love you all. I'm going to have everybody stand where you're at. I want you to say these last two things. Say, I am blessed. I am the head.
I am not the tail. I am above. I am not below. Thank you, Lord. I want you to say in Jesus' name, amen. You guys give the Lord some glory, some praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're joining us online, we thank you for tuning in. We love you so much. We're here. We have a, if you checked on our website, we actually have a place for you to send in prayer requests, for you to sign up for a food box. And I want to encourage each and every one of you as you're leaving, jump on our Facebook because we will no longer be giving announcements as a part of the service. All of our announcements are either A, going to be on Facebook or in a calendar that we have printed out for you in the back. So God bless you. I love you. And I will hopefully see every single one of you on Wednesday night. God bless you guys.